I love that tune. How much do you love it? So much so that we're kicking off this October 1st show with a little air drumming. That is Ayla Brooke and the Soundmen from their album Desolation Sounds, Fallen Tree Records. A good October 1st to you. It's Jesperson here with Hoyles and Brooks. Your eyes just widen, Sarah Hoyles. It's October already. Are you feeling ready? I know, but it's I, I yesterday I did I I did something very polarizing yesterday. I did something very polarizing and you and, and, and didn't. I, do you know what I did? What's you your guess? What's your guess? Winter tires. Oh no, no, no. That's not polarizing. That's responsible. That is responsible. I'm an all season that, tire that, well, person. Yeah, okay. Well, you may, I mean, you you, you may be, uh, you know, you, to a certain degree, depending on the quality of your all seasons, you may be putting yourself at serious risk. See, I've I'm, I'm waiting, never had a problem. I'm waiting to get into this until we have a tire sponsor. Okay. Because this would have just opened up the door. I could probably say right now, if you want to go to St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge, right, you could go yeah. and get your tire okay, swamped over yeah. and that kind of a thing. But uh, no, I, uh, I, I purchased a new... Now, before everybody judges me and snaps, before everybody loses it, uh, I purchased a leaf blower no. the other day. However, it is lithium battery powered. It is not a gasoline leaf blower. Uh, I know that these can be polarizing at times. And I mowed my lawn first. And we have the, uh, not just not, what, Sam, what's the word I'm looking at? Not composting blade, but the blade where people like leave the, the clippings on oh, the a grass. a mulching blade. A mulching blade. Yeah. So I had the, uh, how do you the not- mulching blade? And so it, what it does is it, it like all the leaves on the grass. So you want to leave the, the leaves in, in the garden on the soil. You want them there. This is what gardeners have told me in past. Uh, you don't want to clear the leaves off your soil. You can do that in the spring or you can turn it over. So there's the composting there. Don't worry. We're going to get to the Bitcoin well mentioned in just a second. But but yesterday I was out and uh, and, and I went ahead and mowed the lawn. So all the leaves get, get churned up and chopped up and stay in the grass. And then just for minor cleanup, I did the leaf blowing just to kind of tidy up the sidewalk and keep it looking neat and clean. But I got I went ahead, I went with the heavy duty one. It's it's like the 40 volt instead of the 20 volt, which I guess is the standard. And, and it kind of kicks back a little. Wyatt, our six year old, wanted to try it out. It like blows him onto his butt. I mean, it was amazing. And I was really super duper excited about it. And, and as I was in sort of in that stage of my afternoon, a real talker walking their dog went by and shouted at me was like, great show today. Because it was a bit of a heavy show yesterday and, and a wonderful show yesterday for National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. As I'm sitting there blowing the, the debris onto the street so the street sweeper can take it. I was careful to, by the way, I also used the, the blower to, to tidy up and clean off the sidewalks of my neighbors. Because I think a lot of people earn the chagrin of their neighbors when they use the leaf blower to blow leaves or blow snow onto their neighbor's property, which is not the idea. Right. That's not the idea. So I cleared theirs off as well. But as I was doing it, I was thinking that fella, I don't know who he is. that shouted great show today as he was walking my dog really made my day. Hmm. He really made my day. And uh, and I thought, you know, I'm going to tweet about it. And then life happened and I got carried away and I didn't. And I wake up this morning and that guy sent me an email. He said, I'm the guy that shouted great show today from across the road. And I want to get to his email in just a second. Let me first remind you, though. That our friends at Bitcoin Well are the ones that each and every day present this show, our title sponsors from the very beginning. And it's been an awesome day. It's been an awesome week for them as they've been recognized as one of Canada's 
fastest growing companies. They're on that list from the Globe and Mail, and we're really proud of their success. Not surprised to see it as more and more people are talking about Bitcoin, Ethereum, cryptocurrencies, blockchain, that type of thing. If it makes your head spin like it makes my head spin, you can ask them questions. Uh, Try to figure out if it's right for you or not. I'm never telling you to buy it, but I'm telling you to consult with them before you consider buying it so you feel like you've got a good foundational understanding. You can find them under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. So the guy's name is Mark, and he sent us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. I wanted to lead off with it today on this Friday morning. He says, uh, uh, Ryan, I was the one that shouted great show today uh, when you were out with your son. I was across the street. He says, although I was uh, really happy uh, to have been lucky to see you, uh, I would have loved to have added all your shows have been great. He says, I started tuning into Real Talk back in December, thanks to my wife telling me that I needed to give it a listen. And a week later, I became a Patreon supporter. Thanks, Mark. And he says, and I haven't missed a podcast since. He says, you've made me laugh, cry, reflect every day. I'm learning and understanding issues that are important and interesting. I now know so many wonderful people who make our world a better place. I'm understanding how to support them, how to tell and echo their stories. And for that, thank you. He says, I'm grateful for you, for Sam, for Sarah and the community, the movement you are creating. That's what I wanted to say. But you looked like you were having some great father son time and I didn't want to intrude. I knew I could send you this note instead. He says, keep up the great work that from Mark. That is amazing. We talk about people that fill buckets. Mark has filled my bucket for like a month and I hope he's filled your buckets. You two. And uh, he says, by the way, small world. He says, I also know Chris Kozowski, the founder of Park Power. He says, uh, I organized weekly hockey, used to play with me for like eight years. Small world, that from Mark. Love it, Mark. Thanks very much. We got more emails coming up through the show today. Uh, Some of them are pretty serious. Uh, Some of them are are heavy. Some of them are are reflections on our content yesterday, our interviews as part of the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. And I'm going to get to those through the broadcast today. But I wanted to lead off with something, and I'm curious to know, where our live tuning audience is going to land on this. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to be looking to Twitter as well to see where, where you stand on this. Of course, Park Power, you know, powers our hashtag at Real Talk RJ. Um, there's a video uh, out of Tofino, B.C., and it was captured by a, a, a camera operator with Global B.C. You've probably seen it already. It's what uh, some people are talking about this. I want to say it's what the nation's talking about, but that seems to be a little bit dramatic. I think that the nation's talking about a lot of things, but here is a, a talker as we call it in the business. You want to lead off. We want to off, you know, I mean, almost every morning on real talk, get to the buzz. I mean, what are, what are people concerning themselves with? What are people talking about? I used to say in a previous life when I was on the radio, what are people talking about around the water cooler? And now it might be, what are people talking about on Zoom? That may, that might be the more accurate one. But while they're waiting for people to show up, while for other wa- people to show up on <laughs> yeah, Zoom. That's exactly right. Time. While you're waiting for the, isn't that the, 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 with Zoom, there's the two sort of the bookended awkward moments, right? Number one, where you're the first or the second or the third one on Zoom. Uh, I learned very early that unless you're hosting the Zoom meeting, in which case, I think you're obligated to participate in that small talk. What you do is you sign in, and as you're signing in, you kill your mic, you, like you mute your mic, and you kill your camera. And so then you just sit there, and it just confirms that you're there, but you're waiting till the meeting starts. I like that one, kind of lurking in the background. 
and 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 you're not one of those that has to be like so how have you been and you're kind of waiting 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 and then at the end when the meeting wraps and everyone's like thanks everyone okay see ya thanks and you're kind of scrambling to get your to hit your camera and to turn your camera off you know what i mean the, yes, there's that kind do. of awkward you don't want to be the last window open. you don't want to be yeah. the last window over you're kind of scrambling so i always try to turn the kill the camera there too uh but, but what uh, would people be talking about if they were on those awkward if they moments? were on those awkward moments and if there was a water cooler to gather around they'd probably be talking about this video captured uh, from global bc the prime minister's itinerary said that he was in private meetings in ottawa uh, when instead he and his family had actually traveled to Tofino, B.C., which, you know, and Sam, you can just roll the video and show it to us. This is, you know, person, you can hear, you know, the, the camera person asking him, Trudeau, uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, he's, you know, dressed casually, uh, got a ball cap on, walking down the beach with his wife, Sophie, and of course, some some protective detail. Uh, the protective detail steps in on the camera and probably said something along the lines of, you know, the PMs enjoying some private family time. Let's leave him alone. So there he is in Tofino, B.C. We know that the Trudeaus enjoy being out in Tofino, B.C. Now, why is this problematic for some people? Well, for obvious reasons, it was a national day for truth and reconciliation. Uh, his itinerary said that he was in Ottawa in private meetings. Uh, the PMO since has said uh, the, the itinerary has been updated to reflect where the Trudeaus are right now. Uh, I'm curious to know where Real Talkers stand on this. This was an interesting one. I saw this video posted on Twitter. Uh, this is from a, a lady by the name of Blackfoot Sharna. Uh, that's uh, the name that she goes by. This is an interesting perspective on it. This one was kind of making the rounds. She posted this video uh, as a response uh, to the prime minister's note. Uh, Justin Trudeau had tweeted, I spent part of the morning talking to survivors and hearing their stories uh, and this is what uh, the gal who goes by the name of Blackfoot Sharna posted in response to some of this controversy. Truly upset with how the Canadian media has attacked Prime Minister Trudeau today on the first national day of truth and reconciliation, which is a day of mourning and reflection for everyone. He spoke with survivors yesterday and today. He's earned time with his children. He's worked his butt off for a year and a half. But you have to make the narrative about him being away. It's egregious for you to use today for your vendetta that you have against him. If you don't like him, okay. But he's kept a lot of promises to my people. And... It is extremely disrespectful for the Canadian media to attack him and take <sighs> to take the focus away from the survivors and their families and all the children that didn't make it home. Shame on all of you. So you can find that video. Uh, Sharna's Twitter account is FN Strong Voice. I don't know. I don't know about shame on you trying to take the attention away from the survivors. I land somewhere in the middle on this one. My position on this one is this is the was the yesterday first ever National Day for Truth and Reconciliation and it was one that was initiated by this government and by this prime minister. And while I don't 
find it to be necessarily egregious uh, that media are calling him out on it. I actually think it to be a worthwhile point the media are exploring. It seems a little bit strange to me. I know people are talking about this is right around the time of year, not the exact day yesterday, but it's around the time of year that that Pierre Elliott Trudeau passed, former prime minister. It is around the time of year of uh, the prime minister's uh, brother's birthday, his brother Michelle, who he lost in an accident in an avalanche. Uh, so perhaps this is a difficult time of year for him. Some people are speculating around that. Perhaps that's why he needs to get away. Other people are saying he's entitled to time off. He's entitled to family time. I saw somebody ask something that really made me pause and think, and that is how would you respond as a Canadian if the prime minister was vacationing in Tofino on Remembrance Day? Would you find that to be appropriate or inappropriate? And so I'm curious to know where real talkers are going to land on this. So we're keeping an eye on the live chat. Sandra says, I think the media is trolling him and that's not okay with me. Uh, you know, Lalazaz says he put in the work to make the day happen. Two Beaver says Trudeau burns my ears with his lies and deception. Some random guy says the charitable part of me says he was trying to step out of the spotlight because he was, you know, this was meant to be a day for everybody to work on reconciliation, but it's poor optics. I feel like if I had to sort of attach my wagon to a horse, some random guy's comment might be the horse. The charitable part of me says he was trying to step out of the spotlight. It was meant to be a day for everyone to work on reconciliation, but it's very poor optics. Now, we don't know what they talked about on that day on the beach. We don't know what private phone calls he may have had. You know, oftentimes you'll hear about people and they'll say the legacy that some people leave is what they did when nobody was watching, mm -hmm. what they did outside of the grandstanding. But also, it's the prime minister. It's a little bit different. And, and sometimes you would expect a prime minister to, to do something significant. On the flip side, you see there's many angles at play here. This is real life. This is the gray areas. This is where I think real talk thrives. And, and I do have an interview to get to, and I'll note that. We're going to talk about potential looming Cold War. <laughs> just another light fluffy topic on a Friday. But I also do think that it's it's extremely important that, you know, people recognize that that these types of things oftentimes happen when they, they send messages and inaugural day sets the tone for mm -hmm. what that day is to imply. And yesterday we were asking, how are you spending this day? How are you making this day significant? How are you observing this day? And I think a lot of people are saying it. they felt like the prime minister missed the mark on this one. Quick hits. I'm curious to know how the two of you feel about this. Sarah, do you have a strong opinion on it? I just wondered where his orange shirt was. Fair. I wondered if his if it was OK, why did his itinerary not reflect it? And I mean, now it's been updated, but it should have if it was OK, if they wanted to be transparent about it, it should have been on the itinerary. Just optics. Uh, for somebody that just came out of an election and, you know, in the election and in your eat your words yesterday talking about like, let's put reconciliation action mm -hmm. into play. And it's just it's not reflective of that. I'm just disappointed that his people didn't flag that because, yeah, it shouldn't have been about him yesterday. It should not have been. Sam, you have a strong opinion on this one? I'm, I'm landing pretty close to where you are. I think it was a it was a communications gaffe for sure. His itinerary should not have said that he was in Ottawa. Um, I think that if he had got ahead of this, it might have been a better thing because, you know, when you talk about setting the tone like that, 
is he, you know, in essence, by just taking a day of vacation with his family, saying this is a time to be with family, to reflect, to be a little bit more personal, to not have big grand ceremonies, big grand events, that sort of thing. Like we, you're entirely right that we're still learning what National Day for Truth and Reconciliation is. And if it is truly meant to be a day of reflection, he should have just said that up front. Yeah, fair point. I like this one from Gilles. And uh, Gilles says when the prime minister took a knee at Cowessus at that uh, at, at the site, the Cowessus First Nation at the site of that former Indian residential school in Saskatchewan, when he took a knee at, at that resident former residential school, he was attacked by media. And he was as a photo op. Right. And when he stays out of the spotlight, he's attacked. Uh, no matter what he does, he will be attacked. Eileen says, you know. Prime Minister can do no wrong, according to that that woman whose video you showed. Eileen says it was shameful, disrespectful, and tone deaf. Others are, are, you know, I mean, making, you know, Max, for example, says, can we can we just not waste any more time on this? The day was about the survivors, the lost children, and what we as settlers can do differently. That from Max. Sharon says people are all judging. What did we all do? Did we all go out and, and do something? Jason says, out of curiosity, where was Aaron O'Toole? Do we even care? I think it's a non-story either way. Aaron O'Toole's uh, team posted photos of him speaking with survivors, as the prime minister's team says that he was as well. But Aaron O'Toole was there with the orange shirt. I do think not wearing orange was a bit of a miss, right? I mean, I can see the argument of, well, security detail not wanting to draw attention, but it's orange shirt day. Yeah. Christopher says <laughs> if Stephen Harper did something like this on that day, people defending Trudeau right now would lose their minds. And Christopher's also right about that. We'll keep the comments coming. I'm also inclined like what Max says, even though everybody's talking about it, maybe it's time to move on. You know, we can make a conscious choice to keep the focus on the survivors, on the lost souls, on those children. And we will. Uh, we've got some amazing emails to get to powerful stuff uh, before we get to talk on, on Canada and China and Australia and France and a whole bunch of other factors in play. Canada potentially banning Huawei from its 5G network. Let me remind you that it is the season where people will start putting winter tires on their cars. Thanks, Hoyles. Five dollar bonus on your check this week for this great idea to mention the service team at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. We talk a lot about the sales, their pre-owned inventory, the fact that they've got the best selection of Jeeps and Ram pickups and Dodge Chargers and Hellcats. You guys, you guys heard of the Dodge Demon before? I talked about this one last time I walked into St. Albert Dodge. They had the Dodge Demon in there. This thing has 800 horsepower. I was like, how much does that cost? He's like, don't worry about it. Number one, you can't afford it. Number two, it's already sold. So don't worry about it. But they've also got a service team that they're really proud of. You can visit them online right now under the sponsors tab on our website. Of course, whether it's oil changes, winter tires, or anything else, St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge Jeep earns our recommendation. Also wanted to remind you, the team at Kubi Energy will present positive reflections. That's coming up on Monday's show. We've already got some excellent submissions. I've got a positive reflection from Tim right here. We're going to be reading on Monday. This is really, really cool. He ran into a gang of bikers. And the story unfolds, and it's a good one. If you want to send us something that made your day, filled your bucket, we'd love to hear it to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Positive Reflections presented proudly by the team that's been bringing solar solutions to residential, commercial, and industrial applications for coming up on 10 years right now, recognized as the best in Western Canada. What they do, you can find them online at Kubi Energy. 
www.michaelmichaelsmartin.com.ca. So the two Michaels are home. This has been a huge story, uh, perhaps to a certain degree overshadowed by other stories. Let's be honest, like a fourth wave of COVID-19 that's that's handcuffing and exhausting healthcare workers. We've been talking about the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. But Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, after more than a thousand days detained in China, are home. On the flip side, another story involving Canada and China, the prime minister confirming a couple of days ago that cabinet will discuss what Canada's approach will be, whether or not Canada will ban Huawei, the Chinese tech giant from Canada's 5G network. Mix in that Australia just scrapped a big $90 billion submarine deal with France to partner with the U.S. and the U.K., and it's got our team keeping an eye on these international storylines. That's why we reached out to global security expert Dr. Scott Romaniak, an, an expert in global security, military, strategic studies, and cybersecurity policies. He's got a PhD in international studies from the University of Trento, a master's in terrorism, crime, and global security, and an MA in military studies in joint war- warfare. The guy knows what he's talking about. Doctor, welcome to the show today, and thank you for making time for us. Thank you very much, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. How how did you process the news that that seemed to come out of nowhere? Although oftentimes when it comes to international diplomacy, that's how these things happen. All of a sudden, the two Michaels are home. From your informed perspective, how significant was that? I think it's significant for showing us what sort of diplomacy China wants to set as a precedent um, for not only regional politics, um, and international uh, international politics within that particular region, but with any nation across uh, across the globe. So I think it was significant for that. Um, I wasn't surprised to learn that those uh, those two individuals um, came back to Canada, um, thankfully. And, and uh, it, I definitely think it goes in tandem with the with the Hmong outcome and um, a decision that was made there. But I don't think it's surprising, but definitely significant. Doctor, what do what do you think Canada? should take i mean whether we're talking about the the prime minister's office cabinet or even everyday canadians three hundred thousand of them we know live and regularly work in in hong kong alone uh canadians across china uh will be i think looking for insight into what we as a nation should learn from this experience from from detaining uh madam mung at the request of the united states this extradition agreement to the two michaels being held in detention for for more than a thousand days what do you take from it I think it's, uh, you used the word before uh, in your, your previous uh, response to uh, some of the, the news stories that you've been talking about this morning, egregious. Um, I think this is an egregious uh, precedent that's set. Um, this is not how um, the legal system functions. This is not how international diplomacy is supposed to work. Um, this is not how uh, rational and civilized states are supposed to interact with one another and treat uh, their respective citizens. Does Canada... Is Canada in a position to do anything about it? I mean, I, you know, we, we don't like to think of ourselves as the kind of little brother, but China, you know, the Chinese, a global superpower, to be sure. Uh, and we saw some trade implications with, with sanctions. I, I know that, you know, canola producers, uh, aluminum producers among them were those that were saying they were feeling the burn here as China kind of squeezed Canada to a certain degree. What can Canada do about it? I don't think there's actually a lot that, that Canada or even Canadians, Canadians can do, but I don't see Canada as always the little brother of the United States. Canada is a sovereign nation and it can make its own, its own, uh, uh, decisions when it's, uh, it comes to international treaties and bilateral relations. 
nations. So Canada always has a decision to make. I do think that Canada is in an interesting position, an unfortunate one. China is just a massive market. There are a lot of Chinese. There's a lot of money coming out of China. And it's just a big market that Canada um, will, uh, I think, depend on and rely on and really needs. Um, so there's not a lot of wiggle room there because they're constrained uh, by the need to uh, export and import from this country and vice versa. Uh, but uh, I do think that Canada has to be very cautious when working with uh, states like this. After all, we're not really talking about uh, a communist state anymore. Communism is uh, theoretical when we apply it to China. Uh, the state departed from communism back in the 70s, um, around that time. We're simply dealing with an authoritarian um uh, led capitalist economy and, and state. We're, we're dealing with a dictatorial regime, and, and that's the bottom line here. So we have to remain cognizant of that. Would you, uh, I mean, would you advise people against uh, accepting work or traveling to China, or would that be an overreaction? I don't think it's an overreaction. I don't think I'm in a position to advise people, uh, whomever they are, to, to go to China, to visit China. I think what the detention of the two Michaels and others uh, shows us is that uh, the, the Chinese regime really operates uh, in its own in its own uh, capacity and depending on how it wants to act from one day to another this is something that we've established uh, it, it's definitely an arbitrary uh, decision making uh, edifice and um, I, I personally wouldn't want to travel to China uh, particularly with uh, some of the research and the writing that I do I, I have no doubt that I would be um, observed uh, and it's just not the place that I would like to be. But I do know that lots of people, as you noted, thousands of Canadians uh, do business there. They live there. They work there. They teach. Um, and I don't think that uh, I'm in a position to judge based on everybody else's personal uh, circumstances whether or not they should go there. However, we have to bear in mind what happened with the two, with the two Michaels. They are a bit of an outlier case together as they did have some very close ties and some interesting relationships with uh, at least one of them with North Korea and with the uh, the regime in China. Um, so there's a lot of things that we don't, we don't know. Um, that said, I'm, I'm very happy that they're back. Uh, I, no doubt that that was a, a, a very long, prolonged period of psychological torture um, and uh, very difficult to go through. Uh, but as for Canadians going there and traveling, that's really up to them. But definitely we have to bear in mind that we are talking about a dictatorial uh, regime. And so we have to be very cautious about that. I can't even imagine what that uh, detention experience must have been like. Uh, Scott, this is purely anecdotal. But I remember, uh, I guess it was a couple of years ago, tuning in on a Saturday night to Hockey Night in Canada. There's a Canadian icon, Ron McLean, behind the desk about to interview his panel. And they say, this segment is presented by Huawei. And I went, Oh, wow. Like, that's a pretty powerful ad buy. That's pretty powerful advertising, uh, taking over title sponsorship of a Canadian institution, Hockey Night in Canada. Now you have the government of Canada deciding whether or not Huawei will be banned from Canada's 5G network. I know you could probably approach this from a hundred different angles, but for those of us laypersons that are trying to decide what the right move would be, what do we need to be considering? What do we need to be thinking about? What's at stake here? Well, it's really about uh, it's about markets, but um, but uh, I think for for a country like Canada and uh, Canada's partners and Canada's allies, I think we need to be cognizant of the fact that if we want to be a part of the international system and the international market. Um, that we also have to respect other states' interests in uh, in doing so as well and that their right to do so. Uh, until companies and states uh, do anything wrong, they really have a right to be engaged in uh, international trade, uh, bilateral treaties, um, and uh, engage with other states 
uh, in order to to develop technological elements of, of uh, livelihoods and society, uh, we do the same thing. And I see no reason why we should um, punish uh, companies that come out of China just because they're associated with China. Uh, but we do have to be cautious about what their, their long-term intentions are. Certainly there are uh, companies in, in the United States and in, in Canada, mining companies that have their own uh, vested interest in uh, uh mining uh, resources and mineral extraction and exploitation of other countries. So we're all sort of a part of this and uh, we all have our own interests. Um, private companies and companies that are tied to states have uh, their own interests. We just have to remain uh, aware of this too. I, I, I'm grateful that you've provided that perspective. You know, it's interesting. I think of a, of a popular social media platform, TikTok, and people will say, well, hang on. TikTok is owned by the Chinese and they use it to surveil citizens and people shouldn't be on TikTok because they're risking their privacy and there are implications there. And I've often thought, are you implying that Facebook, for example, obviously publicly traded, but but an American company is not a platform where people are risking their privacy and making themselves vulnerable. There seems to be kind of this this thing where you go, the Chinese are behind it. Everybody goes, ooh, it happens when we talk about the oil sands, right? The Chinese have invested in the oil sands, bought a controlling share in X company. Everybody goes, what's happening? This kind of stuff happens all the time. Do you believe that because it's a tech or a data-driven company, that there are things that people need to consider? I, I don't think that it's any different because it's a tech company or, or as you say, data-driven or data procurement company. Uh, we don't have to go beyond Canada to, to raise concern about privacy issues. I, I have more than my life than I care to imagine plastered all over credit reports, uh, false information and, and poorly documented information that's actually incorrect. It needs to be cleaned up. I, I have no doubt that there's more information about my life than I care to have out there already. And we, we're not even talking about beyond the confines of Canada. Um, now, a state, I shouldn't even say a state like China because there is no state like China. China is the only state like itself in its own right. Um, but uh, in terms of its so-called or, or presumed control over Facebook or TikTok and misuse of information, now this is an overreaction, I believe. There's always privacy concerns to be held with anything um, in any country. Uh, and we should always be aware of what kind of data and information we're putting out there and understand that we really relinquish a lot of control over our lives and, and our identity when we start to share things, uh, not only online, but with any company. Um, this is just a, a fact of life. Uh, information that's delivered on the Canadian census um, can be shared and sold um, as the government likes, this is in the disclaimer in the consensus, uh, or in the, in the census, sorry. Um, so this is something we need to be aware of. But in this sense, China has definitely become a very, very uh, uh, easy and convenient scapegoat. Um, and, but if you look at TikTok and the content on TikTok, we see a lot of very, uh, let's say, progressive style, liberal style uh, content that's being shared. So I, I really see no problem with it as a platform and, and what information is being being shared online. Now, whether the Chinese are secretly documenting everything and going through and doing textual analysis and serving all of that data, I, I don't know. Uh, they do employ a lot of people um, for internet surveillance, but I, I just don't see a major problem with it at, at this point. Yeah, you, you kind of wonder. I mean, you know, it's it's so funny, Scott. I, I We have these interviews and you ask these questions and in the back of my mind, I'm going, I wonder if I need to have like a almost like a preamble or like a caveat for each question where I'm like, I know this makes me sound like a conspiracy theorist, but and you kind of wonder because you're right, because there is a lot of progressive content on TikTok. You almost wonder, though, if it 
might be some sort of a net. You know, it's like the Chinese using it to make a shit list, basically. I don't know. Uh, I'm not on TikTok for what it's worth. I don't know if that's relevant. Do you think that if Canada were to decide, if this prime minister, this government were to decide to ban Huawei, uh, that it could do serious damage to to Canada-Chinese relations at a time where they're probably quite fragile as is? I think... I think it runs the risk of doing tremendous uh, damage that's going to linger for a long time. First of all, I don't think that the prime minister, um, he's in a position to make that decision. Uh, whether or not he has the legal authority to do so is a really a different question. But I don't think it's up to the prime minister to pick and choose which companies are banned uh, from China, uh, pardon me, from Canada and which companies are allowed to come in. Um, I think as consumers in a free market society in Canada, uh, consumers have the choice to uh, to do business with with whichever companies they like, but it's not the prime minister's position to to choose who we can do uh, to to do business with uh, within reason of, of of course. Now I think this falls beyond that line of of reason, but I think it does have the uh, the potential for causing tremendous uh, long term damage and. Uh, it almost seems like uh, let's let's refer to it as maybe an economic appendage of what we see as uh, hostage diplomacy and uh, a tit for tat international affairs diplomacy. Do we have to consider what the implications could be if there were to be? I mean, in hindsight, down the road, looking back, there were uh, privacy issues uh, in whichever way they may manifest themselves. If privacy issues were discovered at that point, is it too late? I don't think it's too late, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are already privacy issues. But again, going back to just Canada alone, I know there's already privacy issues in Canada. We've heard about uh, government officials losing USB keys with sensitive uh, uh, citizen data uh, and information on them. We know that we share a lot of information with companies in the United States and the European Union, uh, although the European Union has some tremendously um, marvelous uh, privacy laws that we need to implement here in Canada. But I don't think um, I don't think that we should point the finger solely at China and say they're the they're the major threat here um, when it comes to our privacy issues. I think this is just a, a fact of, uh, of life and doing business uh, in a country and beyond countries. Doctor, before we thank you for your time, I'm grateful for this perspective. I'm curious to know what you may. I mean, there's, there's there's a lot of balls in the air and I'm not trying to sort of create a narrative here. So please feel free to, to just smack it down and say, what are you talking about? But we're, we're paying attention sure. to some developing storylines. Uh, new Japanese uh, Prime Minister Kashid, a lot of people describing him as, as, as more of sort of a uh, maybe one that that may be uh, more inclined to develop stronger relationships with the West as opposed to China remains to be seen, obviously very early in that Prime Minister's tenure. Uh, We see a deal fall apart, a a $90 billion submarine deal uh, between the Australians and the French, a new pact with uh, around nuclear powered submarines with the US, the UK and Australia. Do you believe that? I mean, Cold War is obviously a strong word, but do you believe that something's brewing between the West, so to speak, and China? I think there's already something there. I think it's strategic competition. Um, in reference to the term Cold War, no, I don't think there's a new Cold War between China and the United States or the West. I really don't like the analogy. Not that you came up with the analogy. Um, you're just repeating uh, and asking me the question. Um, that is, I don't think that we should create a parallel between what was the Soviet Union and modern China. The two aren't the same at all. The environments in which we live in, the technologies aren't the same. I actually don't believe that China has an interest in developing a new Cold War with the West. I don't think that Americans or Westerners have an interest in developing a new Cold War and creating this with China. 
Um, I actually, uh, in addition to that, I do believe that China doesn't seek a world that is unipolar uh, with a sole hegemon. And it's clear that China is more interested in a multipolar world than a unipolar one. And, and that's uh, that's truly my belief on that. There are a lot of different opinions on this, and there are a lot of well-known scholars in the U.S. Uh, putting out publications and buying into this this somewhat of a narrative, this, uh, shall we call it, uh, China threat theory or, or how it's called. But I'm very skeptical about this. Um, and with the pandemic, and you, you mentioned the pandemic, um, I think that uh, this has made China and Chinese leaders more involved trying to develop a multipolar world, of course, uh, with China um, at the center. Uh, but that's really a completely different uh, thing than being at the mercy of a, of a hegemon um, in the international system. Hmm. I'm going to sit and oftentimes after interviews, someone will say something, someone like you, and, and, and I'll sit and it, it kind of resonates with me and I'll walk with it for the rest of the day. And I, I'm going to make you a promise that I'm going to better explore this uh, China uh, current uh, iteration of leadership, not as a communist one, but as an authoritarian capitalist regime. That's a really interesting perspective, uh, Dr. Romanak, and we're really grateful to have had you join us on this morning's show. Already looking forward to our next conversation. Great insights. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Thank you. For, thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, you bet. That's uh, Dr. Scott Romanek, a global security expert, uh, as well as cybersecurity policy. That's, that's a pretty important wheelhouse. I'm, I, I, he didn't take it exactly where I thought he would, which is, is the mark of a great interview. Um, you know, they always say in, in journalism 101, they, they say never ask a question you already know the answer to. But I kind of figured he would he would clap back and say, like, yeah, obviously, huge privacy security concerns around Huawei. He's like, nah, you know, just because a company originates out of China doesn't mean it deserves to be looped in with all of the other sort of understandings about what business in or with China implies. And uh, that interview did not go where I thought it would go and gives us a lot to think about. I really appreciated him turning down the temperature. Yeah. Because, yeah, there is this, this you know, it feels like building pressure, uh, you know, with the the Australia, with the submarines, and then with uh, Japan trying, like, as they're putting in a temporary prime minister, because the other guy got is getting booted. Uh, <laughs> but the idea that they want to make sure that it aligns with the states as opposed to China, I just, so to me, I just, allows me to breathe a sigh yeah. of relief. Audience member here says we should be advocating for enhanced data privacy, regardless of what com- uh, which country the company is based out of. Uh, we've given up so much of our data that can be used to manipulate us. We have no idea. I mean, some of us do. Some, some people are, are, are you know woke when it comes to understanding the implications of how much we put out there. But we really have no idea. We are a product, right? We're a product to be monetized. I think there's always room for really interesting debate around whether or not it's good or bad. You know, you could be talking about something, you know, a toaster oven. And, and then the next thing you know, you'll have, uh, you know, uh, you know, advertisements for toaster ovens showing up in the sidebars of your web searches. Or you could search for flights on something and for the next four months have reminders with regards to targeted advertising on those flights or those destinations. And some people might say, well, your phone's always listening or your laptop or that's kind of creepy or the algorithms. And at the same time, I go, and it's also kind of convenient, right? It's pretty convenient. It's a it's a reminder. I searched for running shoes about a month ago and my Instagram is like flooded with ads for running shoes. 
It's also serving as a bit of a reminder I need to get off my ass and start exercising more, <laughs> which isn't the worst. I mean, study, studies have shown and, and experts are saying that no, phones do not listen to us. Yeah. Um, it's algorithms. They're able to, uh, I, I think if anything, it's just it's proof of how powerful algorithms are and how predictable human behavior is. Yeah, we are predictable yeah. more than we'd like to think. Exactly. Marco says it's called Red Scare Propaganda. It's being recycled to fit the business interests of U.S. defense contractors. An interesting point. Um, I haven't seen Scott's comment, but Tracy's responding to it on our live live chats buzzing today. She says China has a very strong skills development program. It invests heavily in tech and innovation and the Chinese benefit from friendly trade relationships. James says the Soviets wanted to dominate with philosophy. China wants to dominate economically. An interesting point. And some random guy who's nailing it today says the key to know ex- the key is to know exactly what data you're giving up for the sake of convenience. A lot of times you don't realize what data you're giving. Tom says, I missed wide ranging, non targeted ads like billboards. Right. That's my edit. Here's a targeted ad. Athabasca University reached out to us. They wanted to partner with us because they said, your audience, Jespo, is our audience. I said, I agree. We're online. We're digital. We're on demand. That's real talk. Same deal with Athabasca U. I had a chance to talk to a real talker by the name of Jennifer yesterday. She's worked in media for a long time. We were catching up. I said, what have you been up to? What are you doing? She says, I'm earning a degree in psychology. I said, what? I said, I didn't know you left that radio station. She goes, I didn't. She says, I'm working full time and I'm studying at, and I jumped in. I said, Athabasca University? She goes, yeah. I'm like, really? She goes, yeah. And this is a true story. She says, it, it's it's there and I need it. It's convenient. She goes, yeah, there's some long nights, right? Trying to get stay up on the program. She wants to do it within a, a, a time frame that she's set for herself. But if she needs to step away, needs to take a week off, or she wants to really hammer down, she can do it. That's the beauty of the world-class accredited online programs and courses at Athabasca U. You can learn more about the admissions process, learn more about how it all works. I know a lot of people at Athabasca U has been on their radar because of the pandemic, but they've been doing this for years. So it's a fine-tuned system. You can check them out online at AthabascaU.ca. Here's another targeted ad. It's Friday. The weekend is upon us. And here at Real Talk, we're really excited to introduce you to this month's wine sponsor it's the la crema brand i was telling you about this yesterday you can check him out at lacrema.com i love and i had a chance to try it their russian river chardonnay and their single vineyard pinot noir those are the jespo recommendations the la crema williamette pinot noir is unbelievable And then they've got some beautiful wines at really accessible price points. The Chardonnay, the Pinot Noir, the Rosé is really great. They've got a brand new Sauvignon Blanc as well. So where can you find La Crema? Encourage you to check it out. You can find it locally at Wine and Beyond. You'll find it at Costco. You can find it at Sherbrooke. But more importantly, if you don't find it where you're buying your fine wines, ask for it. Ask for La Crema and let them know that you heard about it on Real Talk. 
Also, a big shout out to our friends at Friesen Brothers. The weekend for a lot of people, especially with this beautiful fall weather, means people are going to be getting outside and squeezing in maybe some autumn campfire time. How great is that? Why not add into the mix some beautiful, beautiful Alberta-grown goods from Friesen Brothers out of 16 different Alberta locations. They're also taking orders right now for their pickup Thanksgiving ham dinner. All the fixins, none of the work. You can find it online, and that's where you can also order yours. If you'd rather just hang out with family this Thanksgiving as opposed to slaving away in the kitchen, Friesen.com is where you can place your order for more than 65 years. They have been Alberta-grown and Alberta-owned. Well, friends... I know that this is a difficult conversation for a lot of you, including me, quite frankly. I'm with you on this one. October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, and I'm grateful that our guests have agreed to join us for what I know will be a meaningful and potentially challenging conversation. Aditi Loveridge is a bereaved parent, uh, as well as a pregnancy and infant loss coach and specialist. She's the founder and CEO of the registered charity Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center uh, based out of Calgary, Alberta. Kira Petrie is a co-facilitator of the LGBTQ2S plus loss peer support group. Uh, She brings lived experience when it comes to pregnancy loss. And Amen Dhaliwal is a board member for the Infant and Child Loss Support Center. She co-facilitates a new group in partnership with the local Punjabi Community Health Services. I'm so grateful to have the three of you here, and and thank you for joining us. Uh, Aditi, I want to start with you. This is October 1st, and so when we talk about awareness around pregnancy and infant loss, I know that a lot of people that are going to hear this interview, participate in it, are going to say we're all too aware around the challenges around conceiving or losing a pregnancy. So where does this conversation begin from your perspective? What are some of the important things that you think we need to make sure that we talk about today? Oh, I was saying this to my partner before the interview. I said, I can literally talk about this for for hours. I think there's so many things um, to talk about. But for me, um, as the founder of the charity, and I speak about this a lot, for me, it's mostly about the deep impacts um, that pregnancy and infant loss has on an individual and families. Um, I think a lot of people think that it is this thing that happens in isolation and we move on from it and we kind of leave it in the background. Um, I don't think people fully realize or recognize that it is carried with us at every step of our parenting journey. Um, That is one, one piece of it that I think there needs to be a lot more awareness around. Um, And then the other piece of it is the diversity, um, the diversity in the types of losses that people experience and the diversity in the people um, who experience these losses. I think when we, as a society, when we talk about pregnancy and infant loss, our kind of mental picture of who experiences that loss 
is of one generally of one type of person. And that generally is a white cisgendered straight woman. Um, and while of course that is a lot of who experiences loss, there are also um, many others who don't fit that description that also experience loss. And unfortunately those people um, are not represented in a lot of um, loss spaces. That is such an amazing point. And, and, it, and it, to me, feels like probably the perfect time to hand the baton to Kira, <laughs> to, 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 to ask you, Kira, uh, first of all, to thank you for being here. And, and I know that this is something that's very personal to you, our panel. This is personal, as a matter of fact, in my understanding, to all four of us. Um, but, but you in particular, co-facilitator of the LGBTQ2S plus loss peer support group. Uh, you want to pick up on what Aditi was just saying? Yeah, like for for me and my experience with with my um, with my ex partner, when we went through our first loss, I've gone through two. Um, I, for one, did not feel that I was very supported in any of these early pregnancy infant loss groups. Um, even when I found out about this amazing center, it took me a few months to even kind of feel like, yeah, you know what, this is a place that I actually belong because I am a same sex couple. Um, and you know, you're, you're always thinking like, is there going to be any pushback? Am I going to be welcome here? Um, is this a safe place for me? Cause that's like, that's a big thing being a same sex, um, individual who has gone through a pregnancy loss. Is this a safe place for me to share my grief? And the center was absolutely fantastic with that. And even, talking to some of my other friends that have gone through either like a missed adoption, um, failed IVF, an actual pregnancy loss, stillbirth, anything like that within the community. Uh, having a group specifically for the queer community is huge, huge for us because it's a hundred percent safe space. Kira, I, I, uh, every once in a while, I want to just lay my cards on the table and say, because I, you know, lived experience is so important to us from an editorial perspective here on the show. When Sarah's booking people, if we're talking about something like this, we want to talk to people that have walked miles in those shoes. And so, so this is an area where I have no experience. And that is some of the specific supports mm -hmm. that, for example, a queer couple or a same sex couple may may require. Can you take us? Can you give us an example of, um, you know, perhaps a hypothetical circumstance or maybe even one of your own lived experiences that 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 so-called straight people uh, might not even recognize, might not even be able to forecast or understand? Yeah, I mean, when I was going through and actually um, like being being confirmed that I was losing my first child, um, I got mispartnered by the radiologist. It was during the pandemic, so I was in there by myself. I do present like my my outward appearance is a cis white woman and a lot of times people just assume that I'm straight and the radiologist kept on saying husband and I'm like nope wife mm. and so that is one thing that you that being me um I I deal with and like also there's a lot of not so kind people out there that they're like oh you're same sex so no wonder you lost. I got that comment quite a few times, actually. Really? Yeah. So does a support group give you the tools to respond to stuff like that or just the strength to ignore stuff like that? 
I think it's a little bit of both. Like it definitely gives you that safe space where it's like, yeah, you know, you, you can come and you can say this and you can tell someone being like, Hey, yeah, you know what? Today on social media, someone put another comment up that I had to take down and it was talking about how, yes, like no wonder that child is in a much better place now and doesn't have to be with you and your wife. Like, And then they're like, yeah, you know what? I totally get it. And it's so validating to be able to have a safe space to kind of come and be like, yeah, like it's not just happening to me. Hmm. It's, it's this awful thing, but you know what? We're here. We're here to support you in this. That's so huge, right? It's not just happening mm-hmm. to me. Um, Amen, do you pronounce it Amen or Amen? I want to make sure I get it right. It's Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to the show. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, I noted in your bio that you co-facilitate a new group uh, in partnership with the local Punjabi Community Health Services. Are, are there ethnic or religious connotations to this conversation that we need to be considering? Um, not necessarily, but I do feel that being a Punjabi woman who went through loss, um, there's, there's not, there's not any support I found with my own experience. I, I lost my daughter, uh, December, 2019, um, five days before my due date. And, um, I lost her due to a court incident. She was stillborn. And I found after, like after the loss, I was searching left, right, everywhere for support, and I, I, I didn't find it. I, like being from an ethnic community, I feel like a lot of the time um, these kind of topics are are considered taboo, or we don't talk about them. It happened. Just brush it under the rug and move on. And a lot of people, you know, they would say things like, "It's okay. You're young. You can have another," or "It's okay. It was a girl." next time you'll have a boy you know because i in our in our community i also find like there's more emphasis on families and they they want a boy like girls are considered a little bit less they're less desirable you know and and that hurts too because it's like that's that was my baby i wanted her and you know like it just it just makes the healing journey a little bit harder when you don't have that support within your own community when your community's been such a big part of your life um, growing up and your morals and your values. But then when, at, at a time like this, when you need them there to uplift you and support you, it's not available, right? Um, so I think that's that's been the hardest part. And now with this new group, um, we've partnered with um, Punjabi Community Health Services it's it's opening up the conversation into the community and we offer this group in Punjabi so that those who may have a language barrier can also access support. Aditi, I can tell just on your based on your body language uh, that what mm-hmm. Amen's talking about is really resonating with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, um, I'm also East Indian and I the whole reason why diversity is such an important piece and uh, such an important conversation at the center um, is based on my experience, my personal experience. When I first had um, my first pregnancy loss was an ectopic pregnancy. And I I don't know if um, all of the the listeners are going to know what an ectopic pregnancy is, but when I experienced it, I didn't even know what an ectopic pregnancy is because it's so um 
not talked about. Um, anyways, the, a person who's experiencing an ectopic pregnancy, um, it's a life-threatening pregnancy loss for the birthing individual. And so you have to, you, at some point you are going to be in the medical system. And so when I was experiencing it, I went to the emergency department um, and I, you can probably hear my voice shaking a bit here. Um, I experienced um, mismanagement in my care um, due to the color of my skin. And I almost died due to that experience because I was turned away. Um, the doctor at the time didn't believe me. Um, and so I left that experience. Um, I went through my loss, didn't realize how deeply impacted I was by that experience. Um, and when I started to work in this area and I founded the center, I realized that we cannot support pregnancy and infant loss if we are not having these conversations. That racialized folks are at more risk of um, negative outcomes in pregnancy. Um, in Canada, we do not track statistics, healthcare statistics by race. And so that gives us this kind of little bubble that we believe then that that doesn't occur, right? You see out of the United States, all of these really significant statistics around um, African-American women and, and maternal um, maternal outcomes and, and pregnancy loss. And here we don't do that. And so it gives us the notion that it doesn't happen and it does happen. And so for me, this is like a pivotal part of the conversation. There are so many intersections of someone's identity, both as Amin and, and Kira have identified, someone's identity that further complicates how someone moves through pregnancy and infant loss. And if we're only having those surface level conversations, um, which is a good starting point, absolutely. But, or I should say, and we need to delve deeper, deeper in. And, and I'm just so grateful, Ryan, for, for you and the show, because these are the kinds of conversations that, that need to happen. It, it's, it is real talk. It's tough. Um, and it needs to be talked about. Yeah, it's, it is tough. And um, we've got some audience members here that are just noting that they can, they can hear it in your voices. Uh, and, and I just want to thank the three of you for, for, for talking about it. And I don't take it for granted. Um, you know, we, we lost a baby and, and every April 21st, we celebrate his birthday and, uh, I was able to hold him and it, it's just, a, it's a, it stays with you forever. And, um, I have a very difficult time talking about it, but, uh, but also, um, I'm so grateful that people do talk about it because we want to, I think to be honest, when, uh, when I knew that we were going to have this conversation, I kind of like mentally and emotionally prepare myself for it because for everybody, this is an intensely personal conversation. And I know that the three of you did that as well, because I won't, you know, we don't need to get into the statistics and numbers of how many people are going to listen to this, but these stories will be heard by many. And I know that it will be powerful because I even know that the people that are joining us live right now, it's resonating with them. Like Mark is streaming this live from Utah this morning in Salt Lake City. And he says, you know, my kids are six and a half years apart. And there's a reason for that. Uh, but the conversation can get really awkward when the subject of miscarriages comes up. And, and Tony's telling us her cousin uh, lost their newborn baby days after he was born five years ago. And through that grief, though, Tony's cousin started a foundation. 
to help new parents with babies in, in the NICU, in the neonatal ICU called the Madden Foundation. And Audra says, I have one son and there are good reasons for that. And Audra says, back when I had my miscarriage, there were no support groups. You, you kind of just went on with life, you know, and, 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 I, and I imagine that Audra is probably speaking on behalf of a whole bunch of people. Yes. You know? Oh, oh, I can I can attest to that. When I went through my losses, it was um, my I had two. Now we're, I think I'm going on year 10 um, since my uh, second loss. And there there were. There were, I'm not going to say there was nothing available. There were options available, um, but there was one peer support group, right? There was, so no matter what kind of loss you had, no matter at what stage of the journey you currently were at, that was the group that you could access. And what we do know is, like I said at the beginning, and, 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 your, and your listeners and audience have also identified is that this is something that stays with you. And you, Ryan, yourself said every year, you know, you, you take that moment and you, you remember your child that you lost. And there needs to be groups that recognize that this is something that is carried through into every aspect of someone's parenting journey. And so there needs to be groups that, that meet you in those parts of that journey, not only for that acute kind of initial grief space, but also in those spaces of trying to conceive pregnant again, parenting after loss. That's a huge part of the conversation. I feel that gets kind of forgotten. People think once you um, welcome a living child into your life, that those other babies that didn't make it no like cease to exist. And it's simply not true. Yeah, I'm so glad that you said that. Uh, there's there's an interesting conversation unfolding with our live audience right now about how men and women uh, process these losses differently. And I and and I think that goes without saying, but assuming that things go without saying is lousy for talk radio. Uh, so we should we should talk about it. There's there's the loss of the child as a family unit, and also I don't want to you know let let's be honest. Like a lot of my conversation. A lot of my statements or vernacular may be inadvertently or unintentionally heteronormative. I, you know, I mean, every family unit is different. There are people that are single that have experienced and can experience loss. I want to put all of this on the table to recognize that there are so many different perspectives here. Chad is making a really interesting point. So uh, Chad says, you know, this is something that we need to talk about more. And we also need to lose any of the shame that can come with it. Um, Kira, do you have a, a perspective on that? Is, has Chad touched on something that you, you think you may have personal experience with or that you encounter as part of this support circle that you're participating in? I, I mean, I know from, um, like, I, I can't speak directly for, for my ex-partner, but um, I know that she definitely had a lot of issues. Um, she was very open at the time, um, just talking about how she felt that she almost shouldn't feel grief and like that's that's a very common theme like in any of the the, the groups that I've been in is that the non-birthing parent uh, if, if, if there is one does have that kind of like that that almost guilt that they are feeling pain about this loss like it's it, it's almost like well it didn't physically happen to me so why should I be feeling this right like I need to support my partner in this versus I need to actually go through and grieve this myself, which is huge because it it is like such 
a huge moment in someone's life and in, in, in their journey, whether it's a miscarriage, whether it's a stillbirth, early infant death, like wh- whatever it is, losing that child, even if it's just like a missed adoption, because that happens quite a bit in the same sex community as well. As in, I, and that's a time of the loss. Can I ask you about that, Kira? Because I've heard that phrase yeah. before, missed adoption. And in the context of like you're saying with a queer community, um, mm-hmm. can you take us into that? Yeah. So like a, a missed adoption, like you, it's, it's quite a long process from like, I don't know a lot about the adoption process because we've never went that route. We tried ourselves. Um, but for a missed adoption, like it can take up to like two, three years for your application to even go through. And it's so finicky, like everything has to be dotted and crossed at the exact same spot. And if one little thing is out, you could be like, hey, yeah, we are like one step away from being accepted into having this baby. And then something happens and they're just like, nope, we actually don't feel that this would be a good fit. And you were like one month away from having this child come into your life and it's just taken away like nothing. And a lot of times these 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 individuals don't really get an explanation as to why. It's just, no, you don't get this anymore. Hmm. You're not approved. I want to encourage, by the way, I know that I know that I'm kind of making my way through this interview and asking each of you specific questions. But but if any of the three of you have something you'd like to add to or, or you know, to, you know, uh, contribute to something someone else is saying, please feel free to jump in. Let's let's treat it like we're all having coffee together. Um, and there, there's something really remarkable happening on our I know I keep referencing our live chat because people are. Are, are courageously sharing their own stories here and I want to integrate these into our conversation and, and if you'd like to respond uh, I invite you to um, Jerry is uh, listening in today and says you know the, the lack of support from my former partner at the time caused so much resentment in our relationship I don't think he knew how to support me and I don't think I knew how to ask for it um, Brian says you know my partner Lori and I have lost three pregnancies in our time together and 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 the the feeling of loss never goes away and it makes you appreciate what and who you do have in your life Uh, katie says uh uh, we had a miscarriage our second child in early 2020 Uh, says two close friends of ours also had stillborn babies uh, through this pandemic and Katie says we had our rainbow baby in January. And that's a, a, obviously a, a, a baby that arrives after or following a miscarriage or a lost pregnancy. And, and, and Katie says the entire pregnancy was terrifying. And amen, I think that that is so understandable, isn't it? Someone that's lost a pregnancy. If you feel like the universe yeah. or whatever your beliefs are has has gifted you another opportunity. Uh, boy, oh boy, is that a. Do you ever approach that, I think, with trepidation in many circumstances? Yeah, because sometimes it's it's not easy to to get pregnant after, right? Like people assume you you have a loss and you want to have another baby, it'll happen again. Like sometimes it doesn't happen right away. Sometimes there's a lot of other barriers, right? And there's a lot of other things you need to um, sort out and figure out prior to actually welcoming another baby. And, um, you know, talking about like the partner as well, I found... In, in my experience, um, my husband felt lost when we went through our, our uh, the loss of our daughter, our second daughter. Um, he didn't know what to do. He wanted to, he wanted to be there to support me. I wanted to be there to support him because we both are hurting. Um, 
but he felt like, no, like I need to be there for you. What do you need? And it was just like a little back and forth in the beginning. But then we both mutually agreed that, you know what, like we still need to be parents to our living child. My, at the time, my, my first daughter was only um, two and a half years old and uh, we still had to be parents to her. No, even though we're going through heartbreak and we lost our baby, like we still had to parent her. We still had to do everything with her. And I found that was the hardest part of it after the fact. And my husband and I mutually agreed that, you know what, whatever help we can find, whatever support we can find, that we're going to go and get it because we can't allow ourselves to go down that dark path because we, we still wanted to be present parents for, for our child. And I think navigating that was, was very difficult because on one hand, you're hurting and you're breaking. On the other hand, it's like, no, I still need to feed my kid. I still need to bathe my kid. I still need to, you know, take her to preschool. I need to do all of this. Right. And I think a lot of times that part of it also gets missed. Like, it's like, Kate, you had a loss. You're going to need a couple of months to sort yourself out. And then that's it. But that's not the case, right? Like I'm almost two years post loss here and I'd be lying if I said I was fine. Hmm. Like, you know, I, I'm, I, I've worked on my healing, but I still have those days where it still feels fresh. Right. But I mean, you're never going to be, you're never going to be like fine. Right. Mm-mm. I mean, I'm, I'm never going to be fine. No. Uh, you know, I, I, I think of this little guy that would be eight now and mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, or seven in a bit. And, uh, and, you know, Mark is talking about the, you know, one of the babies they lost. He said she would be 20 right now. And yeah. of course you think about her, you're never going to be fine. Nope. And you know, and I think I, I say that because those are some of the comments that I also heard from my community, right? That, oh, it's been so long. Like, why are you still upset about this? Or you're still upset about this. Um, you must be depressed, right? It's like, you know, you know, when you lose your child, that that's a, that's a really big impact in your life, right? And obviously, like through your healing journey, you will have your ups and downs. That's inevitable. But, you know, but I found like in our in my community, um, people would just mistake that or assume, oh, she's depressed. She's in depression. She she's not getting over it. She's not allowing herself to get over it when that's not the case. And I think that's why this group that we're bringing in to target this community, right. To, uh, to give that support to this community is so essential in my opinion. I want to get back to some of the comments here. Uh, you know, Tony says that, you know, there, there, I, I got the talk around, you know, you can adopt uh, or even better. Tony says, somebody told her you're so lucky you don't have to go through childbirth. She yeah. says, it still makes me so upset. Lisa says, my good friend lost her baby three days after she was born. That was 13 years ago. Says, I didn't even meet her until several years later, but you can still see the loss in their family. Tracy, what about Tracy? Says, I lost seven pregnancies before I had three children. And she says, I wish this journey on no one. Jillian checking in just to say, these three women are so brave. I agree with you. Miranda says, this is another crying show. (laughs) she says my son was a twin but it was so early on that nobody even myself really really ever just talked about it we just focused on the surviving baby kim says uh yeah go ahead go ahead 
Yeah, that's, I just, I want to, like everyone's saying that we're so brave and I, and I, and I think, I thank them for those comments. I also want to um, thank your audience for, for being brave to share because anytime we speak and, and Ryan, you as well for, for being brave enough to share about your child today. Cause I did not know that you had also experienced um, loss. Um, I, at the, at the registered charity that, that, that I have founded and, and run, that is a big piece of this whole thing is to really start to talk about all of these aspects, right? Because again, we sort of think it's this one thing and then you start to actually talk about it. And it's so many things. There's, as was mentioned by your audience member, there's twin loss. That is super complicated because as you're watching your, your surviving child grow and meet milestones, there's always... Um, like there is always that other baby that is going to be carried in that journey and partners partners is such a complicated um, thing that I think at our center, we really focus on because we actually um, we focus on it because partners seem to think that their role in this is to support their partner, their birthing, the birthing individual. And that's, we have to start to talk about how partners are impacted and how they need to move through their own grief before they can effectively support anyone else, right? I, I said this in a training we did last night for our helpline volunteers is that grief is innately a selfish time and it needs to be, meaning partners need to grieve individually on their own before they can come back together and, and, and heal together. Um, this is a, it's the same experience that they go through, but how they experience this is vastly different. And we can't expect one partner to hold the other one up without actually acknowledging that they too are impacted, despite maybe not having experienced it within their own bodies. We've got, uh, I'm going to, I'm just, I, I keep, I know I keep saying I'm blown away by this uh, audience response here, but this really means a lot. And just wait till the podcast lands. I know we'll hear from a lot of people. Um, you know, Donna says back in 1980, she says, I had a miscarriage in the first trimester. I had to go to the hospital. I lost so much blood. I required a transfusion and healthcare workers at the time asked me if I had done something to bring on the miscarriage. Uh, you can't even imagine. Um, what about this from Jeremy who says we miscarried four children. My wife went through hell and back and now she's been diagnosed with MS and we've had to accept that we won't be parents in this life. And it's been hard for her, uh, but she kept moving forward. I love this from Kim, who says, I do not grieve my miscarriage. I'm absolutely certain that my lost little soul came back as a middle child in full fighter form. The medical experience of loss and no support was my trauma, which is a really interesting perspective. Um, I want to give the three of you a chance to respond to that. But I also like to acknowledge that this is not only or exclusively uh, a month of awareness around miscarriage and pregnancy loss, and nor does it have to be a conversation with us today about that. We can talk about IVF. We can talk about the, the barriers that people face economically, socially, and otherwise in getting pregnant. There are people that would desperately love to get pregnant, that would do anything, that remortgage their homes, that sell everything they have of value to be able to afford a shot, a chance at parenting, right? And, and, and there are challenges around adoption. Like, like Kira, like you touched on that as well. I mean, there is so much we can talk about. And I have, a, I get the sense, Kira, that anything that we bring up here is going to resonate with people. I think this stuff is more common than people realize. 
yeah, you, yeah. it absolutely is more common than, I, I think it's more, I think people realize it's common. I think that people don't talk about it because this is a societal kind of expectation that we don't talk about hard things in our society. And especially if it has to do with fertility or, or baby or pregnancy or that sort of thing. Um, fertility is an aspect of our um, center that we absolutely support. And so sometimes people say, why do you support um, people navigating fertility, even if they haven't, quote unquote, experienced a pregnancy or infant loss? Um, it's because fertility is a grief journey. You are grieving how you anticipated becoming a parent. You're grieving so many things and that deserves to be supported. Every When I work with uh, families who are navigating um, assisted fertility, so through IUIs or IVF, every cycle that doesn't end up with a pregnancy is grief. And I don't think that people realize that it is grief and what they end up doing what they end up doing ryan is going holy i am so disappointed and i'm so tired my and 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 what am i going to do i'm going to push through and we're going to do the other cycle now if you're ending up doing five six cycles and not addressing that there is vast grief here um you are going to be depleted before you even start really right yeah. Kira, you must hear stories, I would imagine, um, just based on the dynamic uh, and, and, and sort of some of the obvious realities around, be, you know, being a same sex couple for many people, adoption or IVF or kind of a, a, a technical approach to this is, is part of the journey. Right. And, and I would yeah. imagine, you know, maybe if I can speculate, I don't have data to support it. I'm just speculating. Maybe I'm wrong, but I would suspect it's more common conversation around this are more common among same sex couples. Yeah. I mean, for, for us, the, the talk of IVF was definitely there. Um, we wanted to try something a little bit different. So we tried ICI, which is like one step under IUI, IUI, you need to still go into a fertility clinic, but that even brings up issues because we had to physically go to our family physician and be like, we've been trying for, you know, seven years, we can't get pregnant, um, which is so silly how you need to actually go to get a referral to the fertility clinic. And then as a same sex couple, it's mandatory to speak to their psychologist before you can even speak to a fertility specialist and automatically you are labeled as infertile, um, where the only fertility issues that you know of going into it is that we are a same sex couple. So that's what we're like, what our issue is, is that we are a same sex couple and we can't just, you know, do it on our own. And we need to look at getting a donor for us. Um, but then there's other same sex couples that, you know, they, they need a surrogate or they have someone who's willing to carry for them. And then that, that's a whole other realm of navigating through that and figuring out, you know, like, how do we find someone to carry for us? How do we do the, the IVF? Do we use like their egg do we use a donor of like egg so there's there's so much complexity when you're looking at a same-sex couple or individual looking at pregnancy and that fertility journey in itself like we we went through 
I think it was three donors before we found the one that we actually used for for both of the pregnancies that I had lost. Um, but yeah, we had three, do- three, 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 three other donors that we were able to connect with and we even signed contracts with them got everything notarized we were good and one of them even got to the point that like the day of we were going to try he just sent us a message sorry i can't and for many years i didn't even realize that as a loss until i found the center and was chatting in one of the next step groups um, because we were trying to get pregnant after the first loss and i'm like holy crap like these three other times when uh, these these donors kind of backed out those were losses and i didn't even recognize that because even within my community of friends it wasn't even talked about as a loss Hmm. so like and, and that's like the fertility journey, whether you're a same sex, single or a hetero couple, like you, there's, there's so much more complexities to a loss than just you were pregnant. You lost, you had a baby, you lost, like there's so much more complexity to it. Kira, I'm glad you, you, you I mean, you mentioned single people as well. Uh, you know, you, you can imagine that people are in a, a scenario where they say, well, I'd love to start a family or I'd love to have a, a child and then may face barriers that other people might not think about with regards to, you know, deciding whether or not to go it alone or decide it. You know, I mean, th- there are so many layers to this and this impacts so many people. I'm so glad that the three of you are here to talk about it. Troy says this is a powerful conversation. Says, I remember growing up whenever somebody we knew got pregnant, my mom would always say, don't tell anybody for a while, just in case, mm-hmm. you know, and Troy says, I'm glad that that stigma is lifting. Meantime, Marie says, you know, I wouldn't allow anybody to, to throw me a baby shower uh, before my kids were born uh, because I worked in kids ER and I knew that that things could go wrong at any time. Right. And then and then others are picking up on that and, and talking about, you know, she's Marie goes on to say, I never even had the nursery done before my kids were born uh, just in case something horrible happened. She says, I remember buying a bassinet on the way home from the hospital. Uh, yeah. You know. yeah. Yeah. It's it, it, that that is like a real thing. And, and that's what I mean by like people don't understand the the impacts that loss has. Right. These are the things that and, and thank you to your audience for being so forthcoming with that because those are the things that people in society are not talking about. Like my, this entire center um, and my coaching business was started because of my pregnancy after loss. When I got pregnant after my first, my two losses, when I got pregnant for the third time with my now uh, living child, that was seriously the most intense anxiety provoking fear filled time of my life. And it took me by surprise It because everybody just saw me and was like, oh, yay, like you're pregnant. You haven't made it this far. Congratulations. And I remember sitting at my baby shower. And in hindsight, I really should not have had a baby shower at all. Um, but I remember sitting at the baby shower surrounded by people who loved me and were close to me. And had I had never felt more alone in my life because... Inside, I was so anxious. I thought that having the baby shower was going to result in me losing this pregnancy for sure. Um, And I was so, I became so disconnected from my pregnancy that it ended up trickling into my postpartum and I had severe postpartum anxiety um, because when we experience loss, we then filter our, we, we have a lens of loss and everything gets filtered through that lens of loss. We no longer can be that person that is like, it doesn't happen. 
because it does happen and it's terrifying and and it still stays with me my my child is is eight years old and when he gets sick or when there's something that happens um covid let's say right when you've been that one percent right when you've had complications like atopic pregnancy is super rare statistically but it happened to me you start to think of it things so differently and that's what i mean by these these impacts stay with you forever on your parenting journey yeah i totally agree with you on that one aditi um even to this date my daughter is four and a half years old my living child and um there are still nights where my anxiety is so heightened that i turn the flashlight on on my phone and to make sure she's still breathing yeah. because you always have that fear. Like what if something happens or is it going to happen now? Is it going to happen now? Right. And, and also like with a living child, I find sometimes they have questions, you know, when they anticipated um, a sibling and then, you know, you've, you've prepped your child your whole pregnancy, like, you know, you're going to have to learn to share if baby's sleeping, we have to be quiet. And then all of a sudden, you know, you go through a loss. How do you explain that to your living child? I found that to be such a difficult task. Um, I, I tried to do it the best I could coming down to her level. And just the other day she asked me, she's like, mommy, so grandpa passed away when he was old. My sister passed away when my sister turned into an angel when she was a baby. Am I going to be an angel now? I'm like, no, no. I'm like, she's like, I'm four and a half. Am I going to be an angel when I'm five? When am I going to be an angel? Mm. And, you know, I find these conversations as she grows older are becoming harder and harder because she's realizing things like this doesn't make sense. So then she's questioning it. Right. And I think that whole parenting after loss, um, it's so complex on so many levels. And these conversations also are not had right um or if um my husband's taking her for a walk with the dog i have this anxiety like is something gonna happen is someone gonna like run into them or if i hear sirens and i know that my husband just left to walk the dog was that for him my daughter's with him are they gonna be okay then i'm calling like i think that that fear that that stays with you mm -hmm. and it's so hard to to knock that out it, it's 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 always right there like it's always there that's yeah. uh that is real talk oh man i appreciate that on our chat hope says uh i was unable to have kids uh she had cervical precancerous cells uh, that were very aggressive she lost her uterus when she was 26 and she said people would often ask if i had kids and i felt like i had to explain why i didn't um, Greg says, man, oh, man, like listening to this interview says there are so many things uh, wrong with our healthcare system with systemic discrimination. Curtis says his wife and, and he struggled with fertility for a few years ago, says we chose to go the adoption route about six years ago, uh, worked with an adoption agency for about four years. And uh, in October, our adopted daughter will be two, uh, which is uh, amazing. Uh, Ashley says, I, I, you know, she says uh, Ashley underwent fertility treatments, IVF. It says uh, her spouse was diagnosed with cancer and she says I experienced a loss at 20 weeks uh, my first pregnancy I was constantly asked why I wasn't excited when I was pregnant and I didn't want to celebrate anything until my baby was in my arms she said through that process ignorance was truly 
bliss. Uh, we we had uh, this this came up briefly in our in our conversation. I want to revisit it. The, the pandemic, COVID nineteen. I mean, it's 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 affected every area of our lives. Have have any of the three of you seen with regards to your support groups or your services or or your conversations with your peers or your you know your circle? Um, did the pandemic impact or influence anything in the context of what we're talking about? Yeah. So the um, so the center, the pregnancy and infant loss support center. Um, we saw a 300% increase in clients accessing our supports um, since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, COVID-19 gave us a really beautiful opportunity to offer our our services remotely. So although we're based in Calgary, um, our services expand nationally across Canada. And so as soon as we took that barrier of of location away um, and transportation and all those things that come with a a, a fixed location. Um, We saw that huge increase in people accessing. So that, that definitely helped. And then experiencing loss in a pandemic, as Kira briefly mentioned, um, not having your partner be able to be there um, for ultrasounds and, and things like that, and just being further isolated from support systems, natural support systems, um, makes everything more difficult. So the mental health impacts around loss during a pandemic are are increased substantially. And so we have seen that increase at the center, which is why um, I'm in and Kira as volunteers with us, um, why it's so important that we have volunteers right now because we've grown so much and those people really need really need that support. And and I think the mental health impacts coming out of this, I mean, as a whole um, are going to be, we were only seeing, I think the beginning of it, but I think it's going to be significant as we continue to navigate our way, hopefully out of this pandemic. Um, uh, This conversation, I'll be honest, has, uh, has flown and I just checked the clock and I was shocked to see the time. Uh, I, I hate to stop the conversation, because I know that we could go all day and, and I I'll be honest, I expected that this would resonate with our audience. But but I don't think that I really, truly realized how many people would be willing to share their own experiences. And, and I, I, I've been very much impacted by this. Rose says listening to these ladies makes me think of how much I appreciate having healthy and successful pregnancies. Um, Tony says it's so comforting to know there are sisters in arms with me on this. I mean, people are talking about brothers and sisters as audience members here. I mean, this is a really special and meaningful time. Before we do thank you for your time and your candor and your openness and your courage, um, I'm wondering if maybe each of you, amen, we'll start with you, um, could share with us something. Uh, and, and there could be many different ways to approach this answer, but something that that helped you. I mean, obviously, we, the peer supports are huge and, and people I should mention uh, for those listening on the podcast, you can you can tap into the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center by visiting PILSC.org. PILSC.org, the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center. You can go from there. It's a great way to get in touch uh, with our amazing guests. You can also follow the links uh, on what Sarah's posted in our live chat and our official Twitter account at Real Talk RJ. But but Amen, when it comes to something that you'd like to leave our audience with today, what's worked for you, what's resonated with you, or what's something you think that they should know about? What I would say to everybody listening, everybody viewing in, or anyone who is currently going through something um, in regards to pregnancy, infant loss, adoption, any of those, um, 
is that you're not alone. This community is so big and it's a, it's a lonely feeling. We feel isolated because we feel like no one, we don't have anyone to reach out to. And I felt the same way, but once I found the center, once I found my supports, once I found others who have gone through something similar, it makes you feel like, okay, you know what? I'm not alone. Um, if I'm having a bad day or if something's going on, I can reach out there. there there's so much support there now for me, which I didn't know was there for me in the beginning stages of my loss. So just, just knowing that I have my people, I have lots of people who I can reach out to. Um, I think that just gives me comfort in those days, in those moments where where I do feel alone, right? Um, so there, there's so many others. This community is unfortunately very large, very huge. There's lots of people in it. Yeah. Um, but you're not navigating what you're going through alone because I can guarantee you there, there are others. Um, and you know, now that we are able to let the viewers know, let anyone listening know about our center and that our supports are available for everyone. Like, that's what I want to leave with, with everyone here is that you're, you're not alone. There, there hundred percent is support and, um, and, and your people are there. Amazing. Kira. Yeah. I mean, um, and you hit the nail right on the head. Like, it's such an isolating time and especially during the pandemic, um, you know, having to go through things alone if there's lockdowns or anything, but you, you aren't, you aren't alone and having that sense of that community and someone else saying, yeah, you know what, exactly what you're feeling right now, hundred percent valid, hundred percent valid. When someone validated how I was feeling and it was, not a pleasant way that I was feeling, but they, they were still like, yeah, you know what? hundred percent. I've been there. I felt that that was me last week. Mm-hmm. And then someone else is like, yeah, that was me this morning, but Hey, you know what? Talking to you guys right now, it's actually really helping. And the, the, the sense of community is incredible how much strength and support you can get from that by someone else being like, yeah, you know what? I totally get what you're feeling right now and you're not alone, that is the biggest thing, is knowing that you are not by yourself in this. And this this center, this community is incredible in the fact that, you know, Aditi has been able to expand during the pandemic, has only brought the community together more and stronger and grown. And it is absolutely incredible to know that there is this amazing community out there and we are 110% willing to be with you and hold that space for you and to show you that yeah you know what like we're here with you right now through the thick of it sometimes I mean that's that's just so powerful sometimes when there are no answers right there's there's no quick fix there's no magic potion just we're here for you and we'll be here for you through the journey and there's no expiry date on our availability. Um, Aditi, last word to you, my friend. Yes, I mean, both Amin and and Kira spoke so beautifully and um, so grateful to have them with us. Um, I think for me, it's for your audience that feels the impacts in, in whatever capacity they feel the impacts of the losses that they've experienced on their path to parenthood, knowing that feeling those impacts, no matter at what stage of the journey you're in, 
is expected and we are here to hold space for you and don't try to I guess my my advice would be don't try to convince yourself that something is wrong with you because maybe you continue to feel the impacts. Um, it's actually society has got it wrong. <laughs> and that's why we exist is because as Ryan, you said, we're going to hold that space to for you to feel those impacts in whatever way needs to be felt. The only way through this is to feel. Um, and I, I can attest to what Kira and Amin both said that this community will walk alongside this journey with you. And it's it's beautiful. It's magic when you when you allow yourself to be supported in that way. Hmm. Aditi Loveridge, uh, Kira Petrie, and Amen Dollywall. Uh, with your permission, I'll call all three of you friends moving forward. I'm really grateful for this. Um, I mean, even just the evidence anecdotally on our live chat, this conversation has impacted people uh, from across every demographic. And it reiterates to me the importance of the conversation uh, as we enter October today, October 1st, it's pregnancy and infant loss awareness month. Uh, much love and mad respect to the three of you. And thank you for this. Thank you, Ryan, for, for sharing personally. And thank you so much for um, having this important conversation um, on your platform. It's been such an honor to, to share and speak with you today. Thanks friends. Uh, and, and let me say uh, that I'm happy to talk about this, although it's painful, and to, to talk and to listen and contribute uh, in, in the sense that potentially it'll bring you, uh, our listening audience, some comfort or uh, whatever it is uh, to know that even the host of the show uh, can understand to a certain degree the experience, but also it's okay if you don't want to talk about it. It's also okay if this is deeply painful and personal for you and this show. I mean, it, you know, at risk of sounding kind of hokey, I really do mean it that when I talk about this audience as a community, I see people in the live chat referring to their brothers and sisters in the Real Talk family. I can't even explain to you what that means to us and to our team and sometimes we talk about dumb and silly and stupid things. I mean, they're important, like whether or not carrots are better raw or cooked. We got into that debate yesterday. But we also don't ignore the real life stuff. And we never will. And we promise you that there will be real talk each and every day. And we're grateful to have you tuning in to be sharing this content. If we've learned anything, this impacts everybody, whether you've experienced this loss or you know somebody who has for the most part, almost everybody can relate. And we encourage you to share our content. When the podcast drops later today, uh, when Sarah tweets out the highlight clips and the links to where people can directly go to where that interview starts, we thank you in advance for sharing that. These conversations happen because we have amazing real talk builders. Uh, we're going to get into work from our team at Y Station in just a second. We're going to get into the top line report from our most recent question of the week. But first, let me remind you that at parkpower.ca you can learn more about this local provider of internet electricity and natural gas an alberta utilities company based out of sherwood park providing these services to homes businesses and farms across the province it's easy to switch over to park power there's a link right on their website it it's never been easier as a matter of fact because they do all the heavy lifting you don't have to have those awkward breakup calls you know, you're going to call your current service provider and they're going to be like, well, what if we give you a better, what if we get, what if you, and you're like, no, just, just cancel it. Just cancel it. 
in personal relationships, you can ghost people. You can't ghost your internet provider. As a matter of fact, they'd love it. They'd love it if you stayed out of touch with them and they kept just gouging you with high prices, not park power. They'd love to earn your business so much so that the promo code 2021-REALTALK gets you 70 bucks off your first bill at parkpower.ca. The following paid advertisement does not necessarily represent the views of Ryan Jesperson, Real Talk, or Relay Communications Group Incorporated. It's time for a fresh perspective. Edmonton deserves a leader who will work for you and with you. Someone who understands the strengths of our community to do things better and faster. Cheryl Watson has built her career on results, not promises. On October 18th, vote Watson for mayor and together let's build a city that works. This ad is paid for by the Watson for mayor campaign. We've told you many times that this studio, this show, is running it's live streaming sam do you get nervous like me every once in a while when i talk about how everything's going so great that all of a sudden all the tech's going to go sideways yeah that's the way tech works as soon as as soon as you take your (laughs) as soon as you take your eye off of it it breaks i know i was sort of like no one can see it because the camera stops right it's got my bust in frame so you can't see me softly or gently knocking on wood every time i talk about how everything's working so great but the (laughs) the fact of the matter is we're lucky to have the team at westworld computers making sure that each and every day we're live streaming here and then able to push out everything that we do content wise through the course of the day but westworld computers is about so much more than just sales yeah they got the new iphone 13 Pro. I mean, they've got the yeah, the brand new iPad Mini 6, the one everybody's talking about. But they're also, of course, an Apple authorized service provider. Why does that matter? It's especially significant because they've been operating for more than 40 years, family owned. That means their techs, their service technicians have seen it all. They can fix anything. And if they can't fix it, you're not going to get a better deal than you will at Westworld Computers. Well, the team at Y Station does an amazing job as our official research and strategy partners. And we invited them to take a few days to themselves. Their team, they got a lot of other stuff on the go, right? It, it means that we took a week off of our question of the week, but we wanted to take today to get into the data from our most recent. And of course, on Monday, we've got another question of the week ready to drop. This is a great way for us to get a better understanding of where you, our audience, is at. And it made sense for us to dedicate our most recent question of the week. We call it our get real question of the week to COVID-19, to management, not just of the pandemic, generally speaking, but in particular of this fourth wave. And so we asked you, almost 800 of you chimed in on this. We really appreciate that. How you feel about Alberta's current restrictions exemption program. How you feel about government and health executive management of this. How you feel about enforcement of the rules. And at a high level, here are some of the key observations that the team at Y Station extracted for us. Look at this. 97% of real talkers that chimed in know how to get their, can we call it a vaccine passport? What do we? Restrictions exemption card. Restrictions (laughs) exemption documentation. I mean, unless you're joining us, of course, from BC or Manitoba or anywhere else that has a convenient plastic card or QR code, 97% of you say, yeah, we know how to get it. 87% of you have actually 
got it. Now, that was at the time of polling. I would suspect that those of you that have since uh, wished to enter a premises or tap into a service where you've required that documentation have got that. So I would suspect that that's probably, I mean, this is my guess, but probably higher than 90% by now. Here's another interesting snippet uh, from our most recent question. One in four of you, 24% of real talkers feel confident that businesses will be able to enforce these new restrictions. One in four are confident that businesses will be able to enforce new restrictions. I have to wonder if that's based on the fact that so many people believe that this documentation is so easily forged. You, Hoyles, I mean, if I'm walking into a restaurant right now and they're asking to see my restrictions exemption card, and I have been in a few places, and I have been asked to present it every single time, but just yesterday, a bartender joked to me, how do I know this is real? And I said, you don't. That's kind of where we're at. I wonder if that's why only one in four are confident that it's going to be enforced properly. Well, every joke, there's always, what, a grain of truth in it? So absolutely. <laughs> I That's why I'm ordering things online and yeah. I do takeout. Uh, I will not be sitting. I do not sit in restaurants because of the way this, this vac- I don't trust the vaccine passport documentation, piece of paper, screenshot business because it doesn't have a QR code. It's such a shame. And by such a shame, I mean, it's so fucking maddening. It's bullshit. That a government that's supposed to be so pro-business can't help businesses by coming up with a bulletproof system or at least a more valid system, a system perceived to be more valid that would give more people like you. And there's hundreds of thousands of yous out there that are saying, I would love, I'm not putting words in your mouth. Let me say, I would love to participate in the economy. I would love to support these businesses that are, whether it's retail, uh, whether it's restaurants, what is it? Uh, That are so eager to get back to where they can do the business they've been so eager to do, but people just lack confidence in the validity of the system and the monitoring of the system. And I don't blame them. Here's another one, Sam. Let's get to it. That the team at Y Station pulled 28% of real talkers don't want an apology from the government. They don't want an apology from Dr. Dina Hinshaw. They don't want an apology from any other health executive or elected official. They say that's not going to change anything. 22% of real talkers think this will be over by Christmas. And by this, we mean the royal this. We mean the whole thing. Everything will be back to normal by the holiday season. One in five, 22%, 38% think it'll be after that. I wonder if some maybe believe it won't be over at all. Of course, Thanksgiving's going to be per usual. And by that, I mean like it's been the last couple of years, you know, at least the last one for sure. Uh, where do you two land on this, Sam? You think that things will be. We'll be past this by Christmas. That, that that gives us, what, now about three months-ish? So we've got the month of October, the month of November, and, and, and three weeks in December. Let's call it 11, 12 weeks from now. It's so unpredictable. I mean, it, this is, uh, it's it's dark humor, but my wedding is next February. Yeah. And Kelly and I were kind of joking. We're like, we're just hoping that it lines up with one of the dips in the COVID cycle. Because yeah. it kind of seems like we're just riding this roller coaster I don't want to say indefinitely, but it's, you know, it's it the groundhog dayness of this just sort of keeps perplexing me. As long as one in five people are unvaccinated and as long as people aren't observing proper restrictions in that sense, this will always be a thing. Where's your head at with regards to the holiday season late, you know, late December, early January? If nothing changes, nothing changes. 
nailed it. That was pretty good. It's a good thing I didn't need to like cough and drink coffee and tie my shoes and do anything else because you nailed it in one sentence. If nothing changes, nothing changes. Let's get to another one. Uh, another bit of data. Interesting snippet. That'll be it of the four. I wanted to get into some of the comments. Um, and this is what we're, I'm really appreciate. I always, you know, our Patreon supporters, those of you that support us with a, a monthly contribution, really appreciate that. More information at the top of the page at ryanjesperson.com. You get benefits and perks and cool little things, including this top line report. When I get our top line report, I, I almost scroll right to the comments. You know, we asked you, like, let's imagine something. And, and we, we invited you to dream about a pandemic free day. And this feels good on a Friday. Yeah, I want to get into this one. This is like a Friday feel. I want to like, I'm excited, but I also kind of want to cry. Because like, <laughs> that's not going to, because if nothing changes, nothing Okay, changes. Hoyles, dream, dream with me here. We ask for a day. There's no more pandemic. No more daily case counts. No more press conferences. Well, that's kind of a thing. What does your perfect pandemic-free day look like? One of you said, I can't wait to take my four-year-old for his first movie theater experience, followed by a visit at his grandparents' house and leaving him to play there while my wife and I go for dinner. That sounds amazing. Another one of you said, all my friends at the water park. Uh-huh. You know they have these, like, cabanas at the water park? They're not going to pay me to talk about it, so I'm not going to get too into it, but... We'll see if we can sell them some advertising so I can really get into how cool these things are. When it's minus 30, it's one of the best ad campaigns I've ever seen. This one's for free. There's a billboard. It's one of the best ad campaigns I've ever seen in my life. And it's a picture of these two young kids at the World Water Park. And it has the five-day forecast on it. And it's like 30, 30, 30, 30. And they run that billboard when it's like minus 20 outside. That's a great one. Cabanas, they're licensed. You can go there and get, you know. You can go. I was going to say, go get a buzz on and hit the pool. That's a terrible idea. Like, Don't do what? that. <laughs> Don't do that. Another one of you said beach, bikini, tan, no kids, no husband, beer and silence. There you go. Another one of you said, I can't wait to see our customers smiling faces again with our restaurant full. Another said a family reunion where there's no talk of politics or pandemic, just visits, hugs and drinks. I can't wait till we don't have to talk about vaccines. I can't wait till we find we were not finding out anymore which of our buddies doesn't believe that this thing is real. I do suspect I know that this is supposed to be the dreaming about a pandemic free day, but I will say I do suspect that there's been some permanent damage done in some relationships and, and some friendships. Um, and I say that because I know that there has been in my own life, which is really too bad. Another one of you said, I would leave my house, go for breakfast, hit up the farmer's market. I would love to hit a concert. All of this guilt free, knowing that I'm not potentially putting somebody else in danger because I couldn't make a pancake at home. And on final thoughts, one of you said, politics aside, that would be a great name for a podcast. Politics aside. It wouldn't be this one. It wouldn't be this one. <laughs> Maybe the next politics that our company <laughs> relay will push out politics okay, yeah. aside. I think many of us need to look in the mirror and take accountability. Each of us are leaders. We lead ourselves. You know, we don't need somebody to tell us not to drink bleach. Well, the Tide Pod thing. Anyway, we should know better. Listener says this shit is not rocket science. Literally wear a mask, wash your hands, keep distance if you can. We're not perfect, but we're not stupid. This is all of our faults for not being pragmatic for dealing in emotion politics and self-interest that's a great comment 
Another one you said just a huge shout out and a huge thank you to our amazing healthcare workers and all those who did and are still doing the right things. Another one of you said, please encourage, Ryan, your audience to cool it on the hate. The unvaccinated are a massive problem, but wishing death on them is pretty gross. I'm not sure that I see this audience wishing death on anybody. I do see members of this audience losing patience with unvaccinated people clogging up the ICUs and limiting or delaying or postponing or canceling surgeries for other people. Cutting down on the bed availability at the Stollery Children's Hospital, for example. Now that you said, I'm tired, I'm mad, I'm sad. I just got an email about a case in my kid's class. I want somebody to be held accountable, and I don't trust Albertans to do that. And then one of you just took the opportunity to write into this, you know, write this in. Uh, we asked you for your final thoughts, and one of you said, What's the difference between a bra and the Calgary Flames? The bra has two cups. Hey, we asked you for your final thoughts, and that was one of your final thoughts. I mean, I get it. If you're a big hockey fan, hey, you know, what am I going to say about it? The question of the week will kick off again this coming Monday, and we're always grateful uh, for those of you that take the time to fill it in. I don't know quite know what. That's a pretty good one, actually. The bra has two cups. Cups. What, what do you mean by the flames have cups? Huh? Oh, don't have cups. Yeah, they just have the one. Are you, oh, we're talking about the 89. Stanley Cup. What did you think they were talking about? No, I know what they're talking Boils, about. Come on. I've you just... want to turn the talk to basketball? Is that what you're trying to do right now? No, I can Our get Our friends at Heat and Landscaping want to remind you that just because summer is coming to a close, I don't pay attention to this all. I know I should know the answer here. I know that the equinox or like you know the summer sold. I know it's like June 21st. When, when summer is summer over or is summer, it not summer's over summer's over september 20th 21st depends on the it's year a, it's officially fall it is officially fall just because it's officially fall does not mean that the team at eden landscaping hands up hangs up their shovels and puts their boots on the shelf and takes off to maui it's when the work starts on bringing outdoor spaces to life on the design angle and mike and his team have more than 20 years experience on the ground working with people to take Whatever you have pinned to your Pinterest board, whatever pages you've ripped out of your favorite landscaping magazine, and then making that happen where you live, where you call home. I was talking to Mike a while ago. I've told you this story, friends. I said, what are you most proud of? He says, problem solving. Whether it's like drainage or something that's just not working for the space or somebody's not happy, they go in, they do do-overs every once in a while. Like you hired like the Kijiji landscaper that did just a terrible job, left it half done, uninsured, made it worse than it was when they started. Eden Landscaping goes in and fixes it. And you can find them online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Our friends at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road, that's the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, want to remind you this weekend is a perfect time to treat yourself with a pumpkin pie blizzard, maybe a pecan pie blizzard. Hoyle's face lights up when she realizes she has subtly influenced my pronunciation of that great nut. No, I was thinking about the blizzard I had last night. What did you have? Oh, jeez. I can't. I cannot depart from my beloved score blizzard. Why would you? That's a great blizzard. <laughs> I love that blizzard. No, don't do Hey, listen. I'm not trying to change your behavior if you're a big fan of the score blizzard. We just want people to know that there are some seasonal cool treats available. But whether it's score. I mean, I tried the Kit Kat one a while ago. And actually, as a Kit, can I just say, as a Kit Kat lover, I was kind of like, not bad. Yeah, 
I'm an Oreo Blizzard guy. Yeah, the original, the OG. The OG. And a lot of people go mint Oreo. Maybe we should do a thing where we have like, we sort of like poll real talkers. That could be a question of the week one week. We'll just like shamelessly sell out to our sponsors. What's your favorite Blizzard? People are like, this is hard hitting. Doesn't have to be all the time. The Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. We're such proud partners with them. And I want to leave you this weekend. Well, you know something else is coming up here in just a second. Buckle up that five-point seatbelt, everybody. You know what's coming up in just a second here. But first, I want to remind you that our friends at Grand Dog Essentials do an amazing job ensuring that your beloved furry family members, that your dogs are eating quality raw food. They've got a team of nutritionists with solutions Solutions, I was going to say baked into the business model, but that's not a smart way to describe quality raw food. Nothing's baked in. That's the whole point at granddog.ca. People would never believe these aren't scripted, would they? You would never believe this is off the cuff. They found different solutions. Our dogs, Moses and Monroe, a boxer in a lab, different ages, different health challenges. They eat different quality raw food from Grand Dog and it works for them. They look great. You know them if you've seen me out walking them. Grand Dog delivers to our door. They can deliver to yours every single week. And the promo code RealTalk gets you 10% off your first time order at granddog.ca. We'll wrap up this broadcast week with a big shout out to our friends at Local Waste to encourage you to keep it local when it comes to construction, commercial, and residential waste and recycling collection. You can request a quote today or view their services by way of their website at localwaste.ca. You can also give Chris, Mikkel, or Lauren a call in Edmonton locally at 780-306-1282 and in Saskatchewan at 306-992-9028. Each and every Friday, our friends at Local Waste give us a great opportunity to blow off a little steam. These are all emails we've received to talk at ryanjesperson.com. They're all real. They're all audience members. It's something, as you know, we call trash talk. This one from Anne who says, hey, to those Albertans who will vote to keep daylight savings time, talking about that referendum coming up on Monday, October 18th, never, 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 ever, ever, ever leave our province. Uh, province. Obviously, you can't figure out how to adjust your body's time. I think we should make a law forbidding you from driving to BC or Manitoba or flying to Hawaii or Arizona or Texas or Europe. In fact, anywhere outside will become our new time zone, Pacific, if you idiots vote to stay in daylight time she says imagine canada not having a mountain time zone interesting right canada with just three time zones my animals learn quite quickly how to adopt to time changes yours will too you animals that isn't really a reason how many of you keep animals that rely on feeding at a specific time do we really make laws for that negligible percentage of our animal population and says buck up alberta vote to go with what other countries have discovered stay with the world that from Anne, who says don't read my last name i don't want to hear from anybody on this one peter sent me an email to say i'll happily prove my vaccination status as a teacher in a classroom if the school board asks but it's horseshit that my 120 students don't have to and that the board doesn't have the stones to ask them peter then says please wish everybody a very great weekend thanks peter and thanks for showing up in your classroom each and every day 
This one from Dr. Fiona Matatal. She's been on the show before. She says this government's policies have not just caused the worst wave of COVID-19 in the country, evidenced by the highest case numbers, highest hospitalizations, highest ICU requirements, and highest death rates. But thanks to this political party, the entire healthcare system is crumbling in front of our eyes. She says Alberta Health Services has been forced to rob Peter to pay Paul. The Paul part are ICU over capacity with vaccinated and unvaccinated for the most part patients with COVID. The Peter part are ORs now, our operating rooms only doing life or limb cases. This was predicted, she says, by medical experts in July. But instead of caution, the premier decided to start off with his best summer ever, an exercise in premature machismo great band name, Premature Machismo, that was not only foolish, but has proven deadly. When experts cautioned, what did you and your party and your issues managers do? You mocked the experts. Then, when things started getting bad again, where were you, Premier? Where was your health minister? We're in the thick of it, and the best you can do is come up with a bunk-ass editable PDF vaccine passport? My kids could do better. You need to hear loud and clear you failed at your job. I see not a shred of evidence that you're working Working for your constituents. Your silence speaks volumes about who you are and what you stand for. You are politically impotent. That from Dr. Fiona, another great band name. You could have premature machismo opening for politically impotent at the festival of whatever you want to call it. This one from Anonymous, who says with 15% of our kids having COVID at their school, let that settle. 15% of the student population, I've gone full mama bear. COVID rates are so high with kids, statistically, we will eventually see children die. Some have already come close. More will be impacted for months, years, or even their entire lives with long COVID. When that first child dies, every mama, every grandmama I know will be out with the sidewalk chalk. Kenny kills kids. This is the slogan for 2023 in the history books of how Alberta fared at the end of this pandemic will show that this government failed that from anonymous and how about this one from jerry who says mla shane getson let's talk about him attacking the psychological and emotional well-being not only of our top healthcare officers but collaterally the public in brazen fashion it's criminal this happens continuously this government uses and abuses healthcare workers educators university profs and scientists the ones fighting to save our mountains parks rivers our future our kids and the premier's off on vacation or blaming someone else like dr dina like the prime minister or you or for me, says Jerry. It makes Rona Ambrose's endorsement on election night that much more grotesque and says I'd hope that it'd keep her out of politics because if she's good with what Jason's doing, that means she'd do it too. Jerry says there was a time I would have unabashedly supported her. I guess we dodged a bullet there. That from Jerry. These are emails we received through the week to talk at ryanjesperson.com. They're emails that we read, every one of them, and we get to as many as we can each and every Friday. This tradition, Trash Talk, pushed out as a separate podcast Saturday mornings, and you'll find it on our YouTube channel, too. If somebody would find it cathartic, we invite you to share. Coming up next week on Monday, you might have heard of them. 
Peter Mansbridge joins me. We're also going to talk and kick off our municipal election episode next Friday. Virtually every candidate looking to be mayor in Calgary and Edmonton. You won't want to miss it. And what's Fat Bear Week? We're going to hear how some of Alaska's biggest bears are shaping up, heading into hibernation. I know that's not what some of you thought it was going to be all about. Have a great weekend. We love you guys. Thanks for being here today, and we'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.